Hello there. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Hello there and welcome to the Mandalorian Review Podcast. Welcome to another week and another episode. We are back on form after having a wee bit of a break last week. We had some busy times, some busy stuffs to do, but we're playing catch up this week. We're going to review episodes three and four or chapters 19 and 20, whichever way you want to label it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you to label it a certain way. That's down to you, but we're going to do two this week. So we hope you've, uh, you've had a good one and that you've done something Star Warsy this week. Uh, those of you listening over at Spark Rebellion, welcome. You're getting this for free anyway. Those of you that are tuning in to the Mandalorian Review podcast specifically, then it's great to have you here. As always, make sure you are following and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an ep when it usually goes out every single Saturday. And uh, we're going to round out the rest of the season for the Mandalorian and then flick back over and start doing all the Star Wars newsy bits over at Spark of Rebellion and our patrons who are supporting us each and every month over um, on the Spark Rebellion Patreon um, then thank you very much for your continued support you guys are freaking awesome so thank you thank you so much before we get on to the review for the Mandalorian stuff I'm Gary I'm one of your hosts and let's bring on my co-host let's bring on the dude that I'm going to ask him this question again has he sorted out a Star Wars t-shirt for Star Wars Celebration that is literally round the corner he's got two weeks Yes or no? Mark Asquith. No. Well, no. you see, I was Googling it yesterday. I don't want to be too obvious. I'm not a logo t-shirt guy. He says wearing a podcast movement logo t-shirt. But I'm not that obvious guy. Like, I've got a hat, which is one of those Ashley Eckstein designed, you know, light and dark hats. Beautiful. Probably wear that look mint. But, so I don't know if just go plain black, subtle, and let the hat do the talking. You know what I mean? I'll read you. i read you. Mm. The thing is, though, mm. and I can't, I'm not one to talk, by the way. I do not have a wardrobe full of Star Wars themed attire that I can just throw on. I have two Star Wars t-shirts these days. One's still in the wrapper in the drawer. It's too small for me. It's put on a bit of weight since I bought it. So I've got one I can wear. Pre-lockdown, was it? Mm. Yeah. Truffle shuffle, mm. I think. Yeah, I was going to do that. But then you get all those sort of like, uh, you know, Tatooine, what a place to visit, which are cool, but then everyone's sort of got them. I like subtle to me. I'm a subtle t-shirt guy. Yeah. You know, if I do something like that, cheeky subtle. T- so I'm, I'm going to look again. Um, and I'm hoping the weather's all right as well. Last so exit it, to nowhere. Yeah. I think one they those, do. Isn't it? Yeah. They do some subtle ones. They look pretty sweet. From All right, okay. Maybe yeah. maybe I'll have another look then, mate. But uh, I have got the hat ready. But like I said, I'm more of a plain tea kind of guy. Mm. And then stick a hat on, you know? Yep. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. So that's, um, normally we, we say, uh, we ask each other, what have you been up to? Have you done anything Star Wars-y? It's going to be an easy one for us this week. We've done sod all in terms of Star Wars. The only thing we have done is we've sorted out the old accommodation and all the plans, mm. refine them a little bit more for celebration, which is literally two weeks away, which is freaking sweet because it felt like ages since the last one that's been here in Europe because of COVID, etc. So it feels like a lifetime ago that we've had all the stars, all the things, you know, all the all the stuff happening, and it's a cool venue as well. The XL there's two uh, there's two venues that we normally get comic cons here in the in London at least in this part of the country. 
we have uh, the XL, which is very cool. But then we have the Olympia 2, where London Film and Comic Con do their stuff. And it's mm-hmm. it's awful, mate. It's awful. It's like an old Victorian train station conversion thing. It is a bit rough, isn't it? I yeah. remember doing an event there years ago, like back in 97, and thinking, this is old. <laughs> that was like 30 years ago. <laughs> is there aircon? Well, there's that window open up there. Oh, the one that's like 100 that. foot up. But yeah, yeah, I read you. So yeah, it's going to be good. So we can sort out plans for that. So we might see some of you there. So if you're a, if you're a Mandalorian review listener or if you're a Spark Rebellion listener, then let us know if you're going. Hit us up on the old tweets. Now, we haven't got one for Mando, but if you just find us on Spark Rebellion, it's rebellion underscore spark on Twitter. Yeah, let us know. We'll have a little drink with you. A little drink, a little tipple. Some blue milk. Drinky poo. Yeah, we don't leave till late. Well, I don't, I don't know what your train plan is, but... My train is like Saturday night, 10 o'clock. And then, you know, worst case, if we miss it because of the photo ops, I'll just get the one for Sunday morning. Um, so we'll be around for a beer. And then we're out on Friday having a couple as well, aren't we? Yeah, it's going to be good. Right, yeah, then. Let's crack on with our review. That's what you're here for, right? You're here to hear us wax lyrical and talk about The Mandalorian. So very quick recap, very quickly. Chapter 19. This was... Um, a little bit of a departure in a similar way that they did for the book of Boba Fett, where the story was sort of rolling along and then all of a sudden they just ditched one episode and focused purely on Din Djarin and all that stuff. They did a similar thing with this, where at the beginning we see it, it followed on directly from the previous ep where uh, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, uh, he, she had just saved him from the waters, but she's been a little bit elusive with him. She hasn't revealed that because he was out cold and she saw the mythosaur, she hasn't revealed that she's she's seen it. She's just sort of quietly processing what she's seen and, and stuff like that. So she rescues him. Then they head back to um, where, uh, what's the planet where she's based at the minute, where that sort of empty throne room is and all that stuff. They're on their way back there mm-hmm. and they get intercepted by some TIE fighters. They wipe all them out, but then like a whole bunch of them turn up. So they, they hop into, into hyperspace and, uh, we find out in the next episode that they they um, arrive on the planet where the creed is, you know, with you know, all the training and stuff like that. Uh, but back um, in the uh, chapter nineteen, we cut to Kurasan and we pick up with a character that we saw in season one, which is um, the scientist guy. It's uh, Pen Pershing, and he was one of the guys that was involved through the empire as a, a cloning specialist i guess his research and all his work was all around the clones etc so he's back but now because they got their ass kicked obviously now the new republic are helping people who were involved or part of the empire as part of this new republic's amnesty program so he's declared his uh, you know that he didn't realize all the stuff he was doing was ultimately for bad although he absolutely did and uh, he's you know done his forgiveness speech and all that stuff and he's now just living a fairly basic ordinary life it's a bit of a parallel with andor actually when um the dude that got fired from the uh from the from police academy he ended up doing that really boring desk job it's a very similar parallel with that he ends up just doing menial tasks and whatnot anyway he befriends this other uh person in the amnesty program 
and uh, she's a bit of a, a dark character. We don't know too much about her. Her name's Aliyah Kane. She befriends him and essentially leads him astray, gets him to break into one of the old Star Destroyers to carry on his research in secret because the Amnesty Programme won't allow him to do that. But it's a bit of a ruse. They get caught. She goes off with the equipment and then he ends up being captured and gets put into this... Um, into this procedure where it's going to wipe his mind basically just wipe all of his memories so they can just put him back into into the program etc but she wants to cover the tracks a little bit and at the end she turns up the mind control device majugi and ends up nearly frying his brain so we don't know what's going to happen with him we didn't see him die but we might find him as a as a vegetable or something later on not sure but her character is very cool so we'll see what happens with her that's that episode and then cut to the next one we then hop back to um that the name of the planet escapes me but it's where the creed we met them first up they got attacked by the big alligator dinosaur creature now they're back and everything seems to be going okay and um he's basically said look you can come with me to my hood you're with me keep your helmet on it's all going to be good and uh and they start training. Grogu gets a little, gets his hands dirty a little bit. And, uh, but then one of the other um, uh, Mandos from the Creed gets taken by the big dinosaur creature, the big pterodactyl thing. Uh, it's one of the lads, the guy that we saw in episode one. His dad, who's the big chunky dude, he's like pretty worried about him. So they have to go and rescue him. Led by Bogatan, she jumps in the ship, chases it. She knows where it's, you know, everything that's going on, where he is, what it's about. So they then hop into her ship, park a little while away, climb up the thing, find him, rescue him, job done. That's pretty much the crux of of chapter 20. But the, the cool little thing, and the thing I want to get your thoughts on when we get to it, most of all, is this kind of um, change of thought process that we clearly see Bogotan going through. So she's really questioning everything that she's grown up with, essentially, about Mandalorian culture, the creed, mythosaurs, everything. She's slowly coming around a little bit. You know, she uh, she's getting back into it. So, buddy, that's the recap on those two chapters. What did you think? We'll do scores at the end, but what did you think to... Um, uh, chapter 19, first of all, which was this huge departure over to Coruscant, seeing all of the more sort of jovial part of Coruscant, you know, the more touristy parts of it and so on. Very, very different to the prequels, but very similar in the same way and Pershing and all that stuff. What do you reckon? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, man. Um, I thought I actually really liked it. I've seen a lot online where it's like, oh, they've sidelined Mando. <laughs> no one cared when they did it to Boba Fett. It was like, yeah, more Mando, Boba Fett's crap. Um, but I liked it. I think it needed, I think with the way that the uh, Imperial Remnant is being framed, you know, there's there's a little bit of conjecture out there at the minute with the TIE Interceptors, where the hell did they come from? We still don't know where they came from at the beginning of this episode. And the tactic that was used to draw Bo-Katan and, and Mando out into the atmosphere only to then reveal the extra fleet of TIE Interceptors is a very Thrawn move. It was used in Rebels. So there's a bit of conjecture that maybe that was Thrawn because he had a, a bit of an interest in Sabine Wren. And and, and so so there's there was a little bit of that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I think the way that it's heading towards the rise of Mandalore and, and, and the way that that will potentially clash with this Imperial Remnant, I thought it needed this 
um, slight digression in order to provide something that is sort of a juxtaposition, juxtaposition records against that. So you could see, because we've we see we see Coruscant in the prequels. We've never seen it in any any other form on film. Um, we've seen it in Andor under oppression. So to see it again so quickly, but in a jovial state, or what appears to be on the top level of the surface, an all well and good state. I think it needed that to showcase what, you know, the two sides of where the galaxy is. And, I, I, you know, I, there's a lot more thoughts in that one. Um, so I enjoyed it, is, is, is the bottom line. I thought it was interesting. I'm, I am gen- genuinely more fascinated by why the hell those TIE Interceptors came and where they came from. I think a couple of things that it did a little bit wrong, and I think this season of Mando has done a little bit wrong, is it's not setting any time expectations. Like, so mm. I think Pershing is a great example of that. It's like, bad guy, bad guy, good guy. And it feels like only a month or two has passed in this timeline, but Favreau's coming out and saying it's two or three years. And even in the first season of Mando, he's saying that Grogu was with Mando and that took place over the course of a few years. And you're like, well, like, just tell us that so it feels like there's a bit more impact it feels like there's a bit more at stake because it just feels like everything's happening so quickly. So that'd be a big criticism um, of it. But overall, I really enjoyed that that episode, mate. I thought it was, um, there was a lot of nuance to it. It was very Andor. It felt very, very Andor. You and I spoke about it after we'd watched it. It looked very, very Andor. Felt very Andor. And I loved the subtext of all governments are the same. And it's just, you're, point of view it's just a perspective um and this idea that actually let's bin all this imperial tech we ain't using it we ain't using it we ain't using it it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong except for this mind control device we'll keep that one but we're definitely the good guys and it was you know that sort of squid game-esque are you feeling all right yeah and it was the way that the episode was structured it was almost like a movie you know you see those thriller movies where you know almost the um, the anxiety of the watcher and also the main character, you know, that just mounts, the anxiety mounts and it's all, it's, it's sort of, uh, the pulse of it is, is, is that, that let's interview you and tell me how you're feeling. And each time it gets more and more questioned and more and more questioned. So I thought it was pretty well done, man. Um, a couple of little nuggets in there. I really liked the match, of the resistance, which I clocked in initially, uh, when they were at the rock, that and that was played in a, you know, played on some bells and xylophones, and it was all cute and so on. So it was there's a lot of foreshadowing potentially there, you know. Um, I think it leaves us with a lot of questions. For me, the biggest question is like, was that really Pershing? I'm not sure about that. Was he some sort of clone? Was he sent in there to get this gear? Who's this other character? Is it Eli? Eli? Whatever. Where did you know, is she with Gideon? Is she with Thrawn or someone else? Or is she genuinely working for the New Republic? Uh, there's a lot of questions that that rose. And I think it's all about bringing the Imperial Remnant back to be the second half of the season antagonists or line something else up. Um, mm. so long answer, mate. I know that. And I know we'll do ratings. But yeah, uh, it's quite a complex episode, you know? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Because and it looked beautiful. Sorry, just to finish. Like, it looked fucking stunning. Dude, it looks really good. The shipyards are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Every, every as soon as we cut to Coruscant, it's like a completely different vibe to Mando, which so far we've seen um, 
like the sandy tatooine esque place that they're on at the moment versus or mandalore where it's all run down and stuff the the state of things on coruscant is everything's shiny and you know just looks great neon bar it just looks fantastic and when when you when you think back to the prequels and how they did that especially around episode two you, you kind of thought okay that's that's one part of Coruscant. Surely all of it can't be like that. And then we go to this other section here. And the only bit that that didn't really feel like that was when we got to where those where those guys are being housed in the program. That felt a little bit and sort of Andory concrete, you know, that kind of thing. But for the most part, dude, it just looks so good. So good. And like the little glowing ice creams, glowing ice lollies and all that. It All those little details were so cool. But then... The bit that was the, for me, visually, that was really good, and I agree with you, it's the shipping yards. You know, when they jump off the train and everything, and and they're being um, slowly chased by the, the ticket droid and, and all that, it was it was so cool. And then when you saw the old Star Destroyer, you're like, Jesus, such a nostalgia trip. And then it was a little, there was another little bit that was like that, in terms of nostalgia, right at the beginning, when the, uh, when uh, Mando gets his own ship and they're taking out some of the TIE fighters and they're continuously saying to each other, uh, where did they come from? And it was just like A New Hope where um, they're in the Falcon just as they've blasted out of Tatooine and that TIE fighter just buzzes over them really quick and they're like, where'd that come from? It's like, I don't know, could it be a, I don't know, like an Imperial outpost or something? It's like, no, nah, it's too small to be out in space. It had that same exactly the same vibe as that and uh and i loved it dude i loved that whole that whole that whole episode just felt like we needed something other than grogu go and do this mando you've Mm. got to go and do that and i think if they'd left that too late in the season i think we would have just been a little bit unless they throw something crazy in there in the next two episodes i think we needed it now i know it's only episode three but we, I think we needed it. and um, But more importantly, I think it sets up a couple of really cool potential storylines for something that links into the larger, the larger picture of Star Wars. And that is, did you clock when she turned up the mind? I think that it was that scene when she, she put the mind, the, the mind flayer device into overdrive. There was that piece of music that sounded like Palpatine's or the Emperor's, um, you know when uh, I think it's episode two or three when Anakin goes to sit with Palps in the in the theater, and he tells him the story of Plagueis, and then we have that piece of music that plays in the background. It felt like that. It felt like that piece of music. So you thought, Jesus, is this like? Does this does does this link into Rise of Skywalker? Mm-hmm. Does this link into? she's been tasked by Gideon because he's been tasked by the acolytes or something to do this whole um, Palpatine uh, cloning thing, which we ultimately see in the rise of Skywalker. So that was cool. That was very, that sort of got the brain, the brain ticking over a bit. And then the other thing is how on the other reverse of that, how much is that a, a distraction from what we need to see with, with Mando and Grogu? because we still don't know what we're doing with Grogu, right, at this point. I don't know how you felt about that, but although Grogu had a little bit more to do um, in the following story and back in when we pick up with those guys 
and he puts him in the little training thing and he takes on the dude with the little the little uh the little darts and stuff like that and he has a little flip and stuff like that it's still not anything tangible that we can link into and say yes grogu's gonna do that or he's gonna end up being like that so yeah i I found it fascinating dude that that chapter 19 i really enjoyed it a lot of people said they didn't like it at all they're like what's going on this doesn't feel like mando it's just a pointless detail but no man i liked it so out of 10 then what are we saying for uh for chapter 19 um that's a tough one, isn't it? I'm gonna so I think it I think you're right. I think this is all about setup and you're right about the cloning. The thing that just gets me with that palpatine theory is I I think there is a retcon going on. I do think it's a slow game, long game retcon, I do. Mm-hmm. But in Rise of Skywalker, even the first order didn't know about Palpatine coming back. But that's not to say that Moff Gideon ends up in the first order, you know, Ray Sloan and all that sort of team. They've got to be out of the picture by the time the sequel's coming out. There can't be any Thrawn, there can't be any Grogu. It's, you know, it's almost the Ahsoka problem from A New Hope. They've got to be off doing something else or just dead. That's it. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, you know, that's not to say that this is not powered by Palpatine and something happens 10 years down the line where it's like, oh no, the First Order's taken over. Let's just go and do the Exegol stuff on our own. Um, <laughs> Your favourite so, planet. Yeah, big one. Um, <laughs> and, and I think because... This very much merged the original trilogy's feel with the prequel trilogy feel, which doesn't happen often. And especially when you look through the lens of the next episode, which was very creature heavy, very effects, practical effects heavy. And it still it felt Star Wars, old school Star Wars because of that. Um, I think when you put those two together and you, so, you sort of appreciate that this is full Star Wars, you know, it's not like one part of it. It's sort of, Mando's trying to do, it's trying to be every part of Star Wars in one in one place. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to give it like a seven and a half or an eight out of 10 because it had me hooked. I'm like, what is gonna, what is happening here? And if you were to take the Star Wars whining out of it and oh, it's no ruin, it's Mando, blah, 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 blah. Take that out of it, take Star Wars out of it, take Mando out of it and just watch that as a TV show. You'd be like, what the hell is going on? which is a really good sign. So it, for me, it's got to be like a seven and a half or an eight, man, for, for, for that episode with Pershing in it. I think it's got to be. What about you? Yeah, mine's an eight, I think, for that one. For that very reason, sometimes you don't want your hand held all the way through a season, through every episode. You want to, sometimes you do want to um, open it up a little bit and have the viewer think more than just, oh yeah, he's blasting him. He's blasting him. He needs rescuing. Let's go and do that. You know, why not? Because it did work really well for the Book of Boba Fett. Arguably, (laughs) because that wasn't really firing on all cylinders, it was a nice detour to go off and and do that stuff with Mando. But in this case, it was, uh, like I said, I felt it was needed. But also, um, why not throw up a load of questions? Why not? um, Because Filoni and Favreau and all those guys, they they obviously know the bigger picture of what's coming down the road in terms of other TV shows or potential films and whatnot. So they absolutely know that in five years time, six years time, when we walk out of the cinema or we watch something on Disney plus, we'll be like, do you remember that episode of Mando? Remember Pershing and all that? Yep. It was that thing, wasn't it? So yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. Dude. And it was an eight for me just because it looked fantastic. 
and uh, the the guy that played um, Doctor Pershing, what's the actor's name? Um, Ahmed uh, Abtahi, I think his name is. He he was brilliant as that. He had that really cool mix of like just being downtrodden and just obviously loves his work as a scientist, loves what he was doing uh, when he was with the Empire. And but now it's like the complete opposite. He's like not doing anything scientific, just doing admin basically. But then that little spark in his eyes. So the the initial um when Elias said to him, you know, there's a way that you could continue. We would have to do it off the books, but at first he's there's that sort of pushback and oh, I don't know, we'll get in trouble. You know, it's bad. It's <laughs> get in trouble. And then she uh, very cleverly um sort of nudges him in the right direction. And then when they get onto the Star Destroyer, his eyes just light up like a kid in a sweet shop. And he played that so well. And then the, so that episode built up like that. And then the crash at the end when he realizes that he's been set up. Yeah, he played that brilliantly. So, yes, really enjoyed that one, dude. An eight for me. Good, Good man. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's, it, was, it was really well done. And it's interesting because it's rare that you get two Star Wars TV shows airing on the same day that are both discussing clearly cloning, you know, and I know we'll talk about this in the next, when we recap the next episode in a sec, you know, about what's Grogu, do, Grogu doing and why did they want him? Is he is he special? Is he is he something that we didn't expect? You know, why are they all looking out for Grogu? Are they all looking out for Grogu? Is it, is it just because he was a youngling and it was save any youngling, you know, just any youngling, get him out of the temple? Or is it because it's Grogu? Who, you know, we just don't know that yet. Um, but I think that the, 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 you've got two Star Wars shows releasing on the same day per week, running for the same rough amount of time because the Bad Batch is a longer series, both digging into cloning, albeit 20 years apart in the timeline. I just, it can't, that is not a coincidence. That is not, it can't be a coincidence because they're just, they're so protective about what goes out. So yeah. it just, it doesn't feel like it's a coincidence to me, you know? No, I don't think it is, dude. I don't think, um, although we've we've fired a lot of criticism at, at Lucasfilm and Disney over the last couple of years around making schedule plans and cancelling and doing all that stuff, there is, I think there is still, um, I think there are people there that absolutely do know what they're doing with that stuff. When you look at a more, when you look at how those storylines coalesce, it, it can't just be a, a a random scheduling thing, you know, that they happen to just go out at the same time and happen to deal with similar subjects. So I think you're absolutely right, dude. There's definitely people there who are turning the cogs in the right way. Yeah. And it's got to, you've got to believe that this lead, all this leads to Thrawn. You've got you'd, to do. You'd hope so, mate. Because you'd hope Bad so. Bad Batch is so pre-Rebels and he's mm-hmm. such a big part of the Empire in Rebels. Mm-hmm. We know that. We know Ahsoka's looking for him. You know, we've we just like we said. You know that that's conjecture out where the tie interceptors came from, but that tactic is something that he used. Literally used it on Lethal in Rebels. That very same military tactic was used. Um, and then both of these things are dealing with cloning. And you know, who's higher than a moth? Is it a Grand Admiral? Is a Grand Admiral higher than a moth? Who knows? I don't know. So do you know what I mean? It just feels too, like there's too many things that are pointing towards Thrawn's 
legends kind of vibe. Everything, you know, even bringing yeah. Mount Tantis back. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I think that's... Is it is it advanced by the next next episode? Maybe a little. So we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But I don't know. It just feels like Thrawn's pulling the strings. And, and, and Favreau has said that this is all leading to a big marvelous crossover which is not always a good thing but it you know it feels like this piece has just been put out there yeah it does doesn't it and other than Thrawn I can't really think of anyone else within the Empire or was in the Empire that that could be big enough outside of Tarkin or Vader but they're just obviously not they wouldn't be around um Unless it's Palps, unless they just bypass it all and just direct it straight to Palps, maybe. But that'd Which be boring. Would be crap, wouldn't it? That'd be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's got to be Thrawn, man. He's too. He's too involved. Well, yeah, we could talk about Thrawn on a, an episode all by itself. But let's let's um, nip over to the next chapter. So this chapter twenty. So this is bringing the focus back onto Mando and Bo-Katan. So Bo-Katan has had her has had her um, her dwellings just obliterated by the TIE bombers and the TIE interceptors. And, uh, and Din Djarin's like, let's go, just come with me. And I like the fact that he made a point to say, like, trust me, you need to keep your helmet on. Like, my me and my peeps, <laughs> we're very much by the book. So if you rock up and take your helmet off, it's going to be bad. And although you kind of got that vibe at the beginning you know when they first rock up and there's that big chunky guy always what's his name um a really good black series figure of him actually but he rocks up and he's like the frick are you doing here like both of you are apostates you're not welcome sort of thing and uh and it was cool that they shut him up pretty quick because <laughs> he was like actually mate kind of been in the old pool dip the toe in done the yeah. dip Anna. that's uh paz Vizsla. <laughs> Oh, we need to yeah, talk yeah. about him yeah, in a minute. That's the one. Climbing a freaking mountain with a Gatling gun. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> I'm going to go at the top, but I'm not leaving the big gun at the bottom. If it just yeah. take the little gun, because you'll get up there quicker. No, 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 no. I'm taking the big gun. Yeah. I've seen Predator. I know how this works. <laughs> Blaine. Yeah, we know how he died. So, yeah. The... um. The, uh, the vibe is very frosty, but then that soon gets put to bed. He could have got that from anywhere, right? When we get there, just say I was in the water. I've had a pee in this little tube. That's just- the thing, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, she, she's, like, she, she's conveniently got like a tester. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you use that for? <laughs> How many other people have been to Mandalore? Because you've told me that no one's been there because it's cursed. So what do you need that Why testing thing it? for? Yeah. What, what'd you bring that for then? <laughs> You're trying to evacuate Mandel on middle of the purge. Like, what do I need? I need my helmet. Yeah, helmet. Got got that on. <laughs> need got my tongs on. for armory stuff. Need my giant machine. No, he's got a giant machine gun. We're good. Need that. all my metal. Need all my metal. Yeah. And I'm also, I'm going to need a pool just to test <laughs> other water. Just in case. Well, it's that or the TV. Which one do you want? Fuck. Yeah. Do the pool. We also need one of those little 
canisters that you go camping with. A little gas. A little Calag gas, gas stuff. Take the beans. Go Take on. the beans. Gone. Yeah. Click on that as well. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre, wasn't it? Like the, you know, I bathed in the waters. Here's the water. Like you say, it was a little bit odd, but yeah. Anyway, once that's uh, yeah, once that's done, it's just business as usual, really. So he's been redeemed. Bo-Katan has been sort of redeemed by proxy, even though she didn't need to be in her eyes. And now they're both sort of chilling out and and doing their thing. Cuts to like the big training event. That was all good. So let's talk about. Because nothing really happens there. Grogu, Mando's like, look, he can handle himself, right? I've seen him. Trust me, all right? You didn't trust me about the waters, but look where that got you. You looked stupid then, didn't you? So trust me on this. And ultimately, he gets his ass kicked a couple of times, but then um, then he does the old backflip and stuff. What you, Your quick thought, dude, on the on the puppet work for, Man, uh, for Grogu, because sometimes it looks uncannily real like uncanny this is like a little dude that's walking about could be real other times it looks like and the thing that i struggle with the most is trying to portray weight so when mando picks him up or somebody picks him up it's difficult to be like well this weighs the about the same as you know my headphones whereas he should be quite chunky and stuff like that so um the bit when he was doing the backflip that didn't quite look that great to me but what do you think on him overall then as like a believable character because it's not exactly yoda from empire strikes back right i think it's getting worse the more he's needing to do you think so yeah and, and, and as much as a lot of people didn't like it and i understand why there's a reason that that yoda was cgi in the prequels you know bouncing around twatting dooku in the face with all sorts of crap <laughs> he's got he's, that's there's, there's no puppet there is there so yeah i <laughs> It, it looks nice when he was sort of a quote-unquote baby. Um, but it, it's, it, yeah, it's it's getting worse the more he's got to do because he's not, he's not saying much. He's still just sort of, you know, the odd noise here and there. He's, he's not, he's walking a little bit, but it's not, I don't know, it's just, it's not convincing because you can see that they're struggling to keep him agile like a creature would be, especially of that size, of that ilk and that stature. You'd think there'd be a bit more agility. And it's so that's sort of the, I think that along with the weight that you rightly pointed out, that seems to be the thing that they're struggling with. It's just, it's just like sort of this one piece feel to his torso, you know, and his shuffling around. And whereas Yoda, even in the earliest days with Empire Strikes Back, he just looked old and knackered. Like yeah. he's a puppet and sure he can't do as much, but that was all right. Cause he was old and knackered as a character, like 900 <laughs> years old. So that was cool. You could, if you wanted to in your head, can you could be like, well, you know, wait till I'm old. I'm going to be struggling with that stuff as well. So it's a little bit different to me. And I, and I, I, I can't see that much development from him. So if you think about what Favreau said about the timeline, um, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the Order 66 sequence, but right, you know, during that sequence that we saw in this episode, that is nearly 30 years ago, if not more than 30 years ago, depending on who you listen to about the Mandalorian timeline. If you listen to Favreau, which you probably should, that puts this at 20 years since Order 66, well, 19 up until A New Hope. Yeah, then three years between A New Hope 
Empire Strikes Back in a year between ESB and Return of the Jedi. So that's 20 or 24, 25 years, right? Five years to the beginning of Mando, that's 30 years. And then now he's saying that that took years. Mando season one and two took years. And then it's two years since season two to season three. So I'll call it 30 years, right? So mm-hmm. back in the Order 66 days, Grogu was just moving the same way, man. But he was only 23 years old, which is like a tiny, teeny, tiny infant based on what he can do now. So it's sort of like this weird thing. It's like he's even he's not developed as an actual in-universe creature. Like he's not really moving that much more. So I think that... There's the technical aspect of it that we that we mentioned, but there's also like the in universe. How how quickly do these things really age? You know, so there's a lot of questions about that. So yeah, a couple of perspectives on it, man. But I'm I am starting to see it creak a little bit with it being a puppet. And that flip over the, the Mandalorian kid. Yeah. Like, a bit. like I gotta fucking dodge that. It yeah. was that you know, it was super slow, man. It was like Leia running through the woods in Obi Wan, you're like, oh slowest chase ever. So, similar <laughs> vibe, dude. Yeah, Aurelia, and they try. I think they try to to give it some pace and stuff. They put like a cool little sound effect, and you know it was cut in a certain way. But yeah, just want to get your thoughts because I've got a similar thought to you on it. Where when he's like just a little kid in the little floating cot thing, and relying just on his facial expressions, it's it's pretty decent. It's pretty good. But trying to get him to do more more sort of flips around and even just walking sometimes, yeah, just it is starting to show. Anyways, um, before we talk about the Order 66 stuff, let's cut to this scene where Bo-Katan has found the location of the giant um, uh, dragon lizard thingy. I'm sure there is a name for it. There must be. There must be a... Let's call it Megadon. Megadon. Go on then. So she's found the location of the the Megadon. Megadon. And um, (laughs) she's like, look, we can't... We can't use rocket packs to get there because it will alert that you know they're coming, and he'll, he'll, this thing will kill the uh, the youngling, youngling, foundling, foundling. It's a foundling, isn't it? It's not a youngling. Yeah, it will kill the foundling. We can't use a ship for the same reason. So they park down the road. They get up to the peak, and then they start climbing up with the old grappling hooks. It's a bit like a Batman 1966 moment. You know, when in uh, the old Batman film where they're climbing up the building and then it cuts as they have a little conversation on the way up. And it literally <laughs> said that to Sam. I was like, that is that is Batman. I honestly said it to him. I was like, no, they've done that. They're just walking on a flat surface. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. Um, it, yeah, it was a bit of a Batman moment. So this bit of it to me, mate, was the most ridiculous bit of it. If I'm being honest with you, visually all, all very cool, like the CG work for the creature, the 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 practical effects for the the little uh, Megadon chicks in the nest and all that stuff, all very good stuff, all very sort of classic Star Warsy with the creature effects and everything. Do you know what it was? It was spoiled a little bit by why don't we bring these three things back to the freaking base? Because like, what what are you doing there? Because literally within hours days weeks they're going to eat all of you because it looks like these things are going to grow to a quite a a size and she's like yeah we've brought these new recruits back you know you can help them sort of thing so whether they're going to train them and they're going to maybe it's going to be like a bantha thing where they're going to train them and going to fly around on them or something i don't know but i just found that whole scene just a little bit that was that was the lowest point 
out of mm. the app for me, dude. What do you reckon? I agree, man. It was because uh, I said to Sam, well, Sam even said like, oh, the, what have they done? Just left the kids to die. And I'm like, <laughs> who cares? And then they brought them out of the ship <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> who cares? And I thought to myself, is this just a way of showing that, you know, Star Wars is not merciless? Like, and then we'll never hear of them again. Or is it one of those where they sort of tame them and they become another version of like the Mythosaur where, you know, this 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 Children of the Watch clan has this sigil from these beasts that they conquered and become led by Bo-Katan because she led the war party. And, you know, because you, you, so I was sort of like, that's maybe like an in-story thing. Because um, that was the point of the episode, wasn't it? To give her something to lead which would then elevate her to to a status within children of the watch that continued her path of number one leadership but number two her changing of the mind so that she could then theoretically unite mandalore you would think we might be totally wrong with that um but that felt like the point of the episode and the second that the armor flew off her shoulder i was like here's what's going to happen here she's getting some more armor and it's gonna have a mythosaur on it yeah great cool 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 um, reasonably obvious kind of episode for that. Um, and I admit it, it sort like to me, this one felt more out of place in places than the Persian episode did because it, it was a creature of the week and it, I just feel like you could have saved the foundling a lot quicker, got to the point a lot quicker. There was some cool classic Star Wars stuff, the creatures, it felt very Return of the Jedi because you had people in a Mandalorian looking mask on dusty sandy things climbing it felt very return of the jedi um very practical and there was a lot of cool stuff in it you know the way that the jetpacks were working and um seeing the mandalorians doing that jetpack work all very very good stuff but there was also some daft stuff like so they've never thought let's follow him in a ship never thought that they've just never <laughs> they've never th put that together just seemed silly so it was a bit of an uneven episode from my perspective, from, from, from that view. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, I don't know, man. It just, don't know. It, it just feels a bit draggy, that part of it, you know? And I know we're only mm. four episodes in and there's been a lot going on in every episode, but even so that part of the Mandalorian just feels a bit draggy. Yeah. I agree. And it was also hilarious when the armourer at the end, when Bo-Katan says, by the way, while I was on Mandalore, I saw a mythosaur. And the, the armourer's just like, <laughs> no, nah, you didn't. No, nah, you didn't. Come on. You can't bull BSA BSA. That's what it felt like. Well, that, so that probably warrants like a little bit of conversation, doesn't it? The first thing is like, why didn't Bo-Katan tell her and tell Din in the first place? So that's probably one aspect of the conversation. And the other one is, why didn't the Amara believe her? Um, and you've got to think that that's sort of like your kid being like, oh, there's a monster under my bed. You're like, I know there is. Don't worry, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. And I sort of get that because if you were told that this thing didn't exist... And you believe, I mean, she believes a creed where you can't take your helmet off, you know? So you can sort of understand that the armor is not going to believe that she saw it and that it was a vision. And it's sort of this, almost like, it's like a religion, isn't it? In fact, it is. It's essentially a religion where it's like, oh God, I saw Jesus. Like, what? A vision? 
that's really good in the toast. That's really good. No, down at the post office. Do you know what I mean? So it's, you wouldn't, you just simply wouldn't believe it. You know, what are you doing here? So you just simply would not believe it. So I get, I get that aspect of it. But what do you think is going on with Bo-Katan? Is she, is she being duplicitous or is she being disbelieving? Like which way do you think that story is going? Hmm. It's kind of changing her character quite drastically as well. Because she's always, even in the Clone Wars as well, she was always this very, uh, for for obvious reasons why, she was this hard-ass character that was very much a, uh, this, is, this is the way that we've always done things. It's not our fault that the Empire threw its toys out the pram. You know, it's this is none none of this is our fault. We've been quite happy um prior to the purge, give or take. And then in the live action stuff with Mando, with this whole dark saber thing, that seems to have been left by the wayside a little bit. She doesn't seem nobody seems concerned anymore with whoever wields the dark saber, rules Mandalore. That seems to have just you know, whatever. So I think for that reason she is she is being you know pretty genuine i think with her turnaround um maybe yeah maybe maybe will will she start to question that so the armor essentially said to her you know we all see a lot of things when when you know i guess what she's saying is are you sure you physically saw that or was it just a, like you said, was it a vision that was there because of the situation and what was going on at the time? So maybe that'll question her a little bit, but nevertheless, it's a cool little bit of shoulder armor. It Mm. does look cool. And you just go look. Why would you not say, look, you lot, little, little recce over to Mandalore. I know where to go. This will just put to bed everything and we're all good. Exactly, man. And that's yeah. that's it, yeah. You just because because then that unites them even more, surely. Exactly. Yeah, that puts to bed all of the all of the um all the the us you know, us as a tribe, mm. you know, loyal to the creed, blah blah blah. Well actually that thing's real, so thumbs up for you guys. Brilliant. And uh, now we've been corrected because we thought it was bullshit, but now we've seen it. So now we're on board as well. Thumbs up all round. Let's, let's rebuild Mandalore. Isn't it? And let's put a kebab shop in there. Stick a kebab shop in. And that is, that's the weird thing. So here's a question on Bo-Katan as well. Do you think that she wants to be the leader? Or do you think she's like, fucking done this a lot, man? She just oh, let- I, ca- I can't tell at the moment. Well, I can't you th- either. You'd think that if she wanted to be the leader, she'd be doing more than just sitting on her ass at the minute before Mando turned up. Well, this is she it, isn't it? She just sat yeah. on a throne. Like yeah. we said to you before, she's literally there, just sat on a throne. It, it, does it? Do you think it's? Do you think that acceptance from the armor and from the children of the Watch surprised her and shocked her and sort of maybe threw her off guard a little bit? And that, you know, because I'm so used to being on my own and I'm a night owl and from Clan Crees and whatever. And now I'm on my, because she, you know, that was probably the point of having sat on the throne on her own to be like, look how very alone I am. And then she gets accepted. It's like, wait a minute, this is sort of throwing me off balance a little bit. 
Yeah. And I think uh, just to add to that, you're absolutely right. And uh, to add to that, I think the how easily she was accepted into the tribe as well through a little bit. I think she was probably expecting a little bit more resistance to that. Whereas everyone was just like, even right away when we had the little silly, here's the water in the tube. Um, and everybody just immediately accepted her. Like, this is the way. So from their point of view, from the creed, it was like, well, this is a no-brainer. You know, she's been redeemed. She's one of us now. It's mm. all good. And I think that very quickly sort of turns, starts the starts her brain ticking over like, ah, so these aren't a bunch of arseholes that I thought they were. And they aren't just sort of delusional, mm. you know, believing in this crazy old crackpot thing about mythosaurs. It's actually, ah, I've seen it and now they're being pretty kind to me. Hmm. Yeah, I think I did throw a knocker for six a little bit. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but we're, there's going to be a lot around. You'd think the Dark Saber resolution has got to come up because it's four episodes and have not been touched. Um, that's got mm. to come about sometime, hasn't it? What do we do? Maybe that's a tradition that they end up binning off. You know, they've they're in this Maybe. reshaping situation at the minute. Maybe they bin it off. Yeah, and she was obviously, um, she was obviously fairly still beholden to that tradition because when she took the dark saber remember she she whipped that um that machine that droid thing thing. she just gave it straight back to mando so she's clearly you know she's clearly got that in her head that she can't just take it and yes i'm no queen of mandalore whatever she has to kill him right to take the dark saber she has to defeat him in battle to properly take it and stuff um so she believed it then but since then it's like me what dark saber forgotten about that but i mean that's the thing like she doesn't have to kill him i don't think it's just the literally the defeat in battle so oh of course yeah she doesn't have to yeah, yeah it's true we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll see how that plays out i think that might get a bit of a resolution or certainly some progress the next couple of episodes i think it's got to do you know yeah otherwise it, it, you, you lose that bit of momentum otherwise if you're not careful um yeah maybe sabine turns up throws a spanner in it is due an episode where mm-hmm. there's a big cameo it is because each season's had one mm. um so it is due one but we'll see um we should probably get onto the order 66 shit yes we should, shouldn't we yeah that was a big bit so this is the flashback that grogu had and uh in that very scene actually where um there's kind of a confrontation happening and it transports him back to in his memory of the uh, the younglings being targeted in a in a in the Jedi um, palace temple temple that's the one and being saved by a by a particular Jedi that we've not seen before we've never seen this guy before and um, all is is all the other younglings have been wiped out Grogu and we'll have to answer this question as best we can you did ask it earlier. Grogu seems to have a lot of effort placed upon his rescue. And the the Jedi uh, that that turns up is like, look, we've got to get him out of here. So he takes down a load of clones, ends up jumping on a speeder bike all the way through Coruscant and then ends up um, on this landing platform. And it's like, look, you've got to get him out of here. So my my initial feeling is there is something that they know about Grogu because they were so... It was so important that he was saved and he was taken off planet to survive. So that makes me think that, yes, 
although they probably would have done that for any other youngling like as you said earlier for some i don't know it just has this vibe of like he's too important you know because they start risking themselves to save to save him and, and whatnot even the the guards that are around the ship they're like just go just go we're obviously going to be killed now but that's cool as long as you get away it's all good so they kind of sacrifice themselves as well so they obviously know what's going on so that was a really cool bit dude it's always nice isn't it especially when you look at these things through the old nostalgia goggles about the prequels and stuff and a little bit more you know it opens the lens a little bit more around order 66 and what we've seen in the bad batch as well so it's a fascinating little little nugget of time there but did you think that was well done that bit because we've had that before haven't we where we've we've had a little flashback to that but didn't really reveal that much but i thought this had a bit more weight to it dude a bit more substance oh, i thought it was excellent mate. i thought it was really well done i thought they captured the prequel trilogy era very very well um and modernized it in a way that it didn't feel too cgi and too ott uh, i think bringing tamira morrison back for the voice of the clones i think seeing the clones do what they do um and see the temple burning was really poignant i thought there was a lot of questions come from this which we'll get to in a second um it was just very very well done overall i think obviously the obvious one to talk about obviously is the cameo um from ahmed best which was absolutely freaking badass like <laughs> if there's one thing that feloni and favreau need thanking for is giving people like christensen and ahmed best like another go because that guy got fucking tortured by twats online. And you just think, what an absolute turning point. Like, you know, this is stop the guy acting. And here he is as a Jedi now, and everyone will be like, oh my word, this is brilliant. But I know he was brought back in. It's this, he, is, he is the same character, Keller and Beck, from Jedi Temple Challenge, you know, which I don't know if that's canonized now, but he was in, he was the Jedi tutor in mm. uh, Jedi Temple Challenge. So, um, I thought that was excellent. So good for him as a person, you know, just to be, I know by people like you and me, he's been accepted and, and but there's a lot of assholes out there and th yeah. you know, this, this has been a, a real turning point. So I'm very glad for him for that. But dude, this is like question after question, right? Cause the logic is you save every youngling, every Padawan, every Padawan, every, every kid, basically. We know that didn't happen because Anakin went in and beat him up. So, but there was a lot of Jedi around Grogu, man. And there were no other kids that escaped with him. So they were protecting his ass. And then they sent him to Keller and Beck. It wasn't a get in this lift because we can't get in with you. We're just going to get killed. This lift is better than not being in this lift. It wasn't that. And then when, then he went, I've got friends, which was a fucking Nubian Naboo Starfighter literally looked the same as Padme's and the Naboo Royal Guard, which is insane. Now, there's part of that that thinks, well, is that just an Easter egg because he played Jar Jar from Naboo? No way. Because you, you raised the very best point out of them all. Those guards knew he were coming and they literally said, take the freaking ship. Why? Why? If it was just, here's a Jedi and here's a kid that aren't affiliated with us, they're just going to be like, look, you're a freaking Jedi. You stand a far better chance of taking these guys down than we do. If we all club together, get the kid on the ship and we'll be fine. But it didn't. It was like, you were the Jedi that could, that could save our lives. You need to leave with that kid. 
So there's something weird going on, man. Something weird going on. There is, yeah. And it's one of those, you, you, you put it in a metaphor perfectly earlier, it's one of those little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that will ultimately form a bigger piece, hopefully anyway, at some point. But yeah, he's definitely, at first I was like, hmm, are they just getting another youngling out of the temple? But then when you see those things play out in order, it's like, nah, nah. That was my initial thought as well, man. Yeah. I was like, yeah, of course, you just take any youngling. Mm. Then when you rewatch it, you're like, no, there's too much. That's got to yeah. be on purpose. It's a similar ship as well, isn't it? It's a Padme's. That chromed out looking... Yeah, yeah that it really yeah. is. And they are royal guard. They're not anyone. Mm. They are literal royal guard. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you look at... Um, I forget his name. Um, well, any of the royal guard from episodes one and two... Um, it is, it's the same they are royal guard that is it mm-hmm. um, so there's something interesting on someone raised a good point and I don't think it is this but it's almost that obvious that it's wild that it could be that wild that it's true like <laughs> is this a clone of Yoda hmm is this a clone of Yoda I don't think it is but like I've, I, mean, I don't know. He was 23 years old at that time. How old was Anakin? 23. Cypher Dias kicked off the cloning, what, when Anakin was, what, six, seven, eight-ish? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think... Uh, There's a lot in there. But then, that'd have to be a real, like, round the houses. <laughs> um thing to reveal later on because you know sometimes when they do these little reveals about stuff you can kind of piece it together a little bit because Mm -hmm. in one of the films or another episode in another show it's like ah that's why that character did that thing or said that thing yoda does nothing to even give you an inkling that he was involved in anything So that would have to be really solid, like rock solid. Like, mm. by the way, that time period where Yoda left to go into exile. So that, I mean, even that, that's, um, I don't, even that's really thin. That's really thin, right? It is super thin. I, I don't think it's a Yoda clone. And if, but if I was no. putting money on it being one, I would bet that they would tie that to him going and being able to so rapidly mobilize the clone army and just turning up with clones like Ewan McGregor's like we've got clones <laughs> and Yoda's like what I'll go get them <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> so I, I'm not saying it is or whether that's a good or bad plot point but if mm. they were going to write it in that would be the hook where I think they could ju- if they were really smart they could Say, well, of mm. course, of course, you know, what's her name? I can't remember the, the Camino's name, but of course they knew Yoda. They'd done one for him too. Oh. And that's, but that would be, frankly, that would be shite. It doesn't really align either with the actual no. clones because with those guys, they have the accelerated growth, didn't they? So they could get to their prime i guess as quickly as possible why would they not do that for yoda why would you want to clone it and keep him a kid for 
donkey she is. Has no use to anyone. He's a liability, isn't he? If anything. And that, that's what's, so this is what's weird about him. But then if you think about like, did he have training because he was that young? Why was he there so damn young? Because if you, mm. if you, if you, if you extrapolate the theory that this species ages so slowly or lives so long and that this, this Grogu might be a kid until he's a hundred, you why train him at age 23 and assume that he's been there a little bit of time. So he's 23, the same time Anakin's 23, Revenge of the Sith. Why bother? Why, why have they got him so young? Why have they got him so young? Because he yeah. couldn't do anything. It's not, it, it doesn't line up with the whole Yaddle thing, does it? The timeline. Are you thinking Yoda and Yaddle had a bit I'm of thinking a... those two might have, uh, you know, look, you're a Jedi, you're not supposed to. Well, come on. Pop it in, I will. <laughs> so may, maybe that was like, maybe this is the big kind of thing that makes Yoda go from like this big infallible, you know, all-seeing, masterful, mm. you know, thing to like, actually, he was sort of vulnerable and did have feelings and, you know, did have a bit of Barry White on with Yaddle one night, you know. It's getting on. Bottle of wine. It's a bit of an odd one, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's a yeah. lot in there that's just very weird. And it's, <sighs> you know, you can, like I said, you can write the Nubian ship and the Royal Guard off as a nice Easter egg. Ahmed Best played Jar Jar. And, he, he, you know, the, he, but it's, t you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, this, this is, this is a felony show. This is not an accident. And, and just there's so much in there, mate. Like the handmaidens, did they have anything to do with it? Was it Palpatine because he was the senator of bloody Naboo? Was he trying to get all the Grogu? Mm. He's like, right, if anything happens with a Jedi, get this one. <laughs> and why do you want him? Because he's mint and I want to try and use him for cloning. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to use the Jedi to, so, you know what I mean? Like one last kick in the teeth for the Jedi, you know? Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, yeah. Oh, was it Padme? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, how would Padme know? What she? I mean, you know, I don't know what because this was happening at the same time. She's out there getting choked out by Toad Anakin. Mm -hmm. You know exactly, mate. They're so yeah, and we're we're generally awful at these. It's going to oh, be. Oh, we really something. are because the writers are far yeah. better than we are. Oh yeah, it'll be something completely different. Anyway, scores out of ten for chapter twenty, dude. I'll go first. I'll give this one an eight as well just because the questions that came up in that whole flashback bit was just so good. The only thing, actually, no, I'm going to change my mind, sorry. I'm going to give it a seven. Chapter 19, I'll give it an eight. This one, I'll give a seven. I'm taking a point off because of the ridiculous grapple hooks, climbing up the beasties, bringing them back. But it was very cool with Bo-Katan. Bit of a change up there and the whole flashback thing. So a seven for me, sorry, on this one. Yeah, I'm going to go like six, six and a half on it. There was a heck of a lot of good stuff, like a lot of good stuff, but I thought the Mandalorian elements of it were dragged out and I think it just could have moved things on a little more. Um, yeah. I'm going to go six and a half on that one just because, I, like I said, there was a lot in there and it brought up some mega questions, the, the flashback in particular, the way that Bo-Katan is. Um, but it was... I just, I'm not sure we needed such a long-winded version of Bo-Katan's 
here's the act that shows that I can be a leader, which in turn gives me the the sort of MacGuffin that turns me into this, you know, I've got this redemption. I just, it was, it felt, the pacing was really slow on it. I just didn't find that great. Um, so six okay. and a half, still a great episode, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think in the context of like the range of Mandalorian episodes, it's not just, you know, we've got, it's got to sit somewhere. So for me, it's like a six and a half. Gotcha. Okay. Directed by Apollo Creed, that one as well. You can tell that he directed all of the stuff with Mando. None of yeah. the 66 stuff. That would have been Favreau, wouldn't it? Got to sure. have been. You've yeah. got to be. It's like, I'm at best. <laughs> These fights that you're doing are great. <laughs> However, what? Don't say it, Apollo. <laughs> We've talked about this. You did it on the last episode, didn't you? Yeah, but I'm a great fighter. Out. 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 See, what you want to do is you want to step, shift your weight forward. Because I made this film with this dude called Rocky. And he showed me, showed me all about this stuff. Put your shoulder still, in there. Still one of my favorite like head jokes that will never happen in real life is him getting pissed <laughs> off that people call him Apollo, but call him still home Rocky. Rocky. <laughs> Not even realizing. <laughs> Like that is one of the best. Like I did this, I did this movie with this guy called Rocky, yeah. and <laughs> but then getting so pissed when someone's like, "Hey, Apollo is like, no, that's not my name. That's that is not my name." It's brilliant. Isn't it? We will continue oh, with that head cannon until told otherwise by Apollo. By Green. Apollo to do it. So. Yeah. Alrighty, let's stick a pin in it there, folks, for episode three of the Mandalorian review podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode. We're halfway through the third season now, so uh, thank you for sticking with us as we review each episode. We've got another four chapters to go, so make sure you are following or subscribing to this podcast so you won't miss an episode when we land every single Saturday. Uh, Or just head over to sparkrebellion.com. We drop this episode into that feed. That's our main Star Wars podcast. And uh, those of you listening on Spark Rebellion, thank you so much for your continued support and to our patrons as well you guys are awesome thank you very much for your continued help and support we appreciate it very muchly thank you so much and uh, we're on the socials too hit us up on twitter head over to sparklerebellion.com forward slash twitter you can find us on there we chat star wars throughout the week and uh, we're on the instagram as well same thing forward slash instagram and if you like this uh, additional podcast or if you like spark rebellion and you also want to support us with our other patrons head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash patreon and you can jump on for a dollar there and uh, everything goes back into the production of the podcast and the gear and the hosting and all that stuff it really helps out uh, to uh, to keep the lights on so to speak so it's been good to chat mando for these two episodes dude we'll be back next week for chapter 21 thanks my man we will yeah appreciate it dude and then the week after we are at star wars celebration on the friday we'll have to figure out when to record on that dude um might even stick a mic in the old bag if we get a chance and do it live from Star Wars Celebration. That'd be pretty cool. Um, or from the pub. In Shoreditch. <laughs> wherever. Mm, oh yeah. Aladdin's Brick Lane. Tika Blast. Yes, please. Two. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a pleasure, mate. I'll see you next week. <laughs> indeedy, indeedy. Until then, Star Wars listener, take care of yourselves and may the Force be with you. Always.